today. I'm not sure everyone online can see here. So for those of you online, Cody sitting on the table right next to me. <laughs> he looks like he's about to preach. <laughs> All right. Um, faith messages on faith. I, I, couple of few weeks ago, I started thinking about what builds our faith. And a couple of things happened to me. And I was like, wow, God is so good. You have those moments. Yeah. God does something and you're like, wow, God is so good. And, and then those are the moments that build our faith, right? Like those God is so good moments. But then a couple of weeks later, we forget what happened, right? It's human nature. We just, we forget. That's the, the Israelites told that story the entire 40 years they were in the desert. They just kept forgetting. <clears throat> but I started thinking a lot about those those faith-building moments. Right? It's like that's a part of our journey of faith. It's like recognizing when God is actually doing something in our lives, acknowledging it, and growing from it. And not forgetting. Not forgetting is a real challenge. You know, I keep a, a prayer journal um, that I use on Thursday nights when I pray when I pray with the pastors. And I cross things off as God answers them. And that for me is like a faith building moment because I see how God is answering. You know, like recently, Maya has been praying for her parents. Can I share? Her parents to get a place. And when she found a place for them, there was so many obstacles and it just looked like it wasn't going to happen. And so we all prayed and we prayed and we prayed and we just believed. And then boom, suddenly it just happened like effortlessly, <laughs> right? Nothing that she had to do extra, nothing that anybody had to do. Effortless. And we keep seeing that happen in our lives. Effortlessly, effortlessly, God will answer prayers. Right? And it was more than I expected. And it was more than you expected, right? Because we can't even imagine what he wants to do. You know, we often pray for more faith to walk our journey. So we'll ask people, please pray for me. I need more faith, right? Or more faith when we are waiting for a prayer to be answered. But Faith is actually meant to be grown as we pursue a life of godliness. There's nothing wrong in asking for prayer, for faith. But it's also the most important thing to understand is when you get faith, it's not because God pushed like upload of faith into your life, like a software update. You know, okay, you have faith 3.0. That's not what happened, right? Faith is generated or developed in our lives as we have these moments of faith that build up our life. We know when we experience God in our lives, we know he's going to come through next time. We know what God can do. You see, God tells us in his word what he will do for us. Amen? Does, he t- does everybody agree? God tells us in his word what he will do for us. But we don't always believe that completely. When God says, I will take care of you. When God says, I will heal you. When God says, I will restore you. Right? Those are very complicated things to think about. It's like, how is God going to heal me? How is God going to restore me? But he said, I will. He tells us what he's going to do. <clears throat> so it's just up to us to really begin to believe that. So faith actually then becomes this foundation of the godliness that we attain to, right? You want to be godly, you have to start with the foundation of faith. And a lot of times we get compl- comp- like. We complicate things because we try to be godly, but our faith is not there yet. And we try to be godly on our own accord. Like, I got to look good. I got to act good, right? Then it becomes exhausting because I don't have the faith to sustain that. But faith has to become that 
foundation of what we attain to. This is what allows us to live in this world, but not be of this world, right? So Jesus, when Jesus came down to this earth, he came down in the form of man to show us what it meant to be in this world, but not of this world. When we are born again into Christ, we are called to come out of this world and to be different. We're actually called to be different. If we are not different, it's really important. If we're not different, how is anybody going to know what Jesus looks like? The problem today is we try, Christians try to look so much like the world to assimilate, right? We want to go sit with the sinners. We want to go sit with the prostitutes. That's fine. Jesus did that too. But he was not a sinner. He was not a prostitute. He was Jesus Christ. And because he was there in their midst, he caused transformation with those people. If we are going to be in this world, we are called to be transformers like Christ, not assimilators, right? And and being part of it. Sorry, my laptop has too much security. Okay. <laughs> so, it, so when we're called to live in this world, without, it's not like a life of segregation, right? But really actually what it is, it's a life of love and compassion, right? To be in this world, but not of this world, Jesus had so much love and compassion that he was in this world. He sat among the people that nobody wanted to sit among. He loved them so much so he finally died on the cross for them. And, and because of his death on the cross, his death and burial and resurrection, there is repentance and there is salvation for all. That is what it looks like to truly <clears throat> be godly in this world. So today when we talk about all of this, I want to talk about faith in the context of Godliness. I'll start with faith, we're going to end with godliness pretty much. We're reading from 2 Peter chapter 3. Sorry, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 to 9. We're just going to go through some words in this scripture. And this is the main scripture that we're going to go through. I'll give you guys a minute to get there. I have it up in the NASB, so go ahead and pull it up in whatever version you want. Okay, Second Peter chapter three, uh, chapter one, verse three to nine. It says, "Seeing that His divine power has granted us every, granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, through the through through the true no, <laughs> through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. For by these He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises, so that by them we may become partakers of the divine nature." having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours, and are increasing. They render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Now, how should we read this scripture? Second Peter chapter one, verse three to nine is my guide to spiritual growth. That's how we're gonna look at it today. This is my guide. Am I doing everything that 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 to 9 is asking me to do? 
in my spiritual growth. This is how we, this is how we'll read this today. So let's talk about first, what are the precious and magnificent promises? Right, so I'll read um, verse four. For by this he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in this world by lust. Exodus, uh, sorry, Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25 to 27, and I have it up. It says, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you and will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues, statues and you be careful to observe my ordinances. That's God's promise. When we turn away from sin, and we walk with God, that's God's promises. There's a lot of weight in this scripture, right? Because what he's talking about is he's talking about picking us up. When we have given up our idols, when we have given up the things that cause us to sin, when we have given all that up, this is his promise. He will pick us up. He will give us a new heart and put a new spirit within us. Do you know what that means to have a new heart? How many of you have had been felt hurt? Like pain, such unbearable pain, or or comp or just like conflict in your heart, or depression or anxiety. When God talks about giving us a new heart, He's actually taking that heart that's been broken, torn, destroyed, and He's replaced. And it's become so hard because of that, hardened because of sin. We don't even know how to. We don't even know what to do with it. He takes it and He replaces it with the heart of flesh. This is, it's not just like, oh, I'm going to make you a better person. I am going to restore you. Have any of you ever seen a car that's been restored? Google it and you get home. <laughs> right, or bingle it. Right, look at, they pick up cars from like lakes and stuff like that. Like, they're like, I've rusted down to almost nothing. And they bring it back and they find the parts and they find the paint and they find everything and they restore that entire car back to a brand new thing. And I've always thought of that as like such a great picture of something that everyone thought was lost and probably junked. God took and made brand new. And then not only that, it has an engine in it. So now it's useful. God, that's what, when God talks about restoring us unto him, he's talking about bringing us back from nothingness into something. You know, <clears throat> there are many testimonies, many testimonies that, you can read and, and you, people will share with you how God has brought them back. Those are real stories, right? That is a precious and magnificent promise that God promises us. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17 and 18, it says, Therefore come out from their midst and be separate. This is important. This is the first part, right? And do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Almighty. That's God's promise. For those of us that grew up without fathers or without mothers, God is the ultimate father and mother. You know, as Christians, as we go through this life of restoration, all the traumas and the pains of our past, God restores that. You see, he, that's the kind of God he is. He doesn't just pick us up and patch us up. Look nice now. Let's move on. He restores us into what he's called us to be. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23 to 24. 
and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. This is the best part. He doesn't just restore all that we are. He restores our mind. I don't know how many of you battle with your mind. And I was talking to somebody at work this week, and he said, he was asking me, he said, where is this documentation? And I said, oh, it's in a very dark place. He said, where is it? I said, it's in my mind. <laughs> I have to document it because there's so much stuff going on out there. It's like a storm, <laughs> right? Our mind is the control panel for everything. We decide to follow God with our mind. We just, the, our choices every day comes from our mind. How we think about God comes from our mind. We have to, we have to have control. And what does he say? He says in Ephesians 4, he says, you will be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Our mind will be made new and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, having been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. When we put on this new self, it's going to look nothing like our old self. It's new robes, new clothes. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escapes the world's corruption caused by human desires. This is what God, these are the promises, right? This is what God gives us. Then we move on and he says, now for this very reason, also applying all diligence in your faith. And this is what I meant earlier. Faith is not just a patch. Let's pray for more faith and my faith will grow. Now there's a funny video out there of people who, sing the song is like holy spirit activate and i'm like that's not how it works <laughs> you don't activate the holy spirit like that you know <laughs> and it's like you don't that's not how it works it's like <clears throat> it says apply all diligence in your faith i i love this word diligence because diligence is it speaks of responsibility it speaks of discipline it speaks of continuity right diligence is something it's not something you start today and then end tomorrow now, I was reading um, an article last week. It talked about changing habits, right? And they say may, the main reason why people change habits is not because of mental problems or hormone problems or physical problems. It's because nobody will stick to it more than two days. So you want to change a habit, you have to stick at it. You want to, you know, you want to change your lifestyle, you have to stick at it. You want to learn something, you have to keep learning until you finish it, right? It, that's what it takes to actually transform something. So when it talks about applying all diligence in your faith, it means like I have this gift of faith that God has given me. It is my responsibility right now to take this faith and then work at it. Applying all diligence. Building our faith takes work. It takes diligence. It takes discipline. It takes effort. It takes focus. It takes intent. I have to intentionally work at my faith. It's nothing. It's not a patch that we put on and suddenly we have more faith. It's a journey and sometimes a lot of it is uphill. Faith is built when we come against obstacles and we push through it and we pray and we walk with God. That's when our faith grows. When we see that faith building moment, we face an obstacle. We see something, we pray and we ask God to walk with us and help us through it. And then he answers our prayer and then our faith grows. Simon Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11 to 15, it says, Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly life should you live? Think about that for a second. If you know for a fact, everything around you, including the people, are going to be destroyed. What holy and godly life should you This is not a maybe one day in the future event, right? This is an event that will happen. 
this is not an event that, you know, maybe somebody made up. Maybe, you know, the scientists haven't 100% proven it's going to happen. It's going to happen, right? The second coming of Christ is going to happen. The destruction of this earth is going to happen. If we know this as Christians for a fact, how does this change our lives? How does this change? What holy and godly life should you live? Verse 12 is looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day, oh, sorry about that. Puppy. All right. That was a dog. <laughs> Let me go back. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth he has promised. A world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. In whose sight? In his sight. What does God see? Everything. Right? <laughs> so what did you say? A lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot. Yeah. God, he says, live pure and blameless lives in his sight. It doesn't matter what other people see around you. It really doesn't matter. You see, when we live holy and blameless lives for God, everyone else is going to see holy and blameless lives. It's only one focus. We just focus on God. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. This is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom of God gave him. He reminded us to have perspective, to see the bigger picture. Right. We apply diligence in our faith to continue to walk our faith out. Psalms 194, it says, you have ordained your precepts that we should keep them. A precept is a commandment. A commandment is non-negotiable. Right? When somebody gives you, when you're in the army and you get a commandment from your, your commander, you have to follow it. Otherwise, you're insubordinate and you will face punishment. Here we are reminded of the diligence. So Proverbs 4.23, it says, watch over your heart with all diligence. So not only walking, but then watching over our heart with all diligence. For from it flow the springs of life. Guard your heart. What enters your heart? What are you allowing into your heart? What do we allow? When we allow sin to enter our heart, death enters our heart. Don't forget, from our heart flows springs of living water. <clears throat> 1 John verse th chapter 3, verse 19, it says, We will know by this that we are of the truth and will assure our heart before him. When we stand before him, our heart will be ready to, be, to speak, to be spoken for, right? God sees our heart. I, I can't, like, say this or remind ourselves of this. I remind myself of it every day. It doesn't matter how other people see me. It really matters only what God sees. If I'm struggling, God sees that struggle. Other people will eventually see it. There's nothing wrong with struggling, but hiding and pretending like everything is okay and then not dealing with it with God and walking in sin, that makes it more difficult. And remembering also Hebrews 11:6, it says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. <clears throat> a lot of you, when you talk to me, I always say you have to have faith. Right? And I don't mean that. I've said this a hundred times. I don't mean to say when you have faith, I'm, we're dismissing everything that you feel. But the fact is, 
No one can solve your problems, only God can. It's true. No one on this earth can solve my problems, no one. I can talk to a hundred people. No one can solve what's happening in my heart, only God can. And so Hebrews 11.1 1 is a really good reminder. It says, without faith, it is actually impossible to please God. It is God's call upon our lives. So now we supplement our faith, right? So let's go back to when we're reading um, 2 Peter chapter 1. It says, now we supplement our faith. Okay, do you remember? Got two things going on here. All right, supplement our faith with, gener- with a generous provision of moral excellence. I'm like, oh, that's a big word, moral excellence. Let's go to Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. It's on the screen. It says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. And think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. (laughs) You know, the other word for moral excellence was was virtue. And I looked it up and virtue means properly. Like to properly supplement your faith with being with walking properly, with walking in excellence, with walking in virtue. That's what it means to be a person who can be praised. So in our faith, we're actually called to actually walk out that faith in a way that is, what's the word I want to use? That is proper. Walk according to the word of God. Again, effort, right? Our hearts don't just change like that and then everything becomes normal i remember when i when i first when i I shared with you guys my testimony when i when god changed and touched my heart i felt something something changed in my life but then the next morning i woke up i still had to make choices i still had to make choices to walk i still have to choose to be in this world but not of this world i still have to choose things that are godly i have to choose what i watch i have to choose what i listen to i have to choose what i say i have to choose how i respond Right. I don't make right decisions all the time, of course. But in that choice, I learn over the years, it's like how to continue. He said, I have a really bad temper. And on Friday, and I haven't lost my temper in a long time, but on Friday night, Cody took a nip at Lambo and I got so mad. I yelled so loud, my poor dog probably thought he was gonna lose his life. And and I, after that, I was thinking, I'm like, wow, where did that come from? I haven't seen that in a while, right? <clears throat> because that's a part of me that's been there since I was a little girl. Something came out, right? And something triggered it, and I just got really, really angry with him. And I I yell, and, you know, dogs, they know when you're angry. Dogs, they don't, you know, dogs can sense when you're mad at them <laughs> pretty well. And so I really had to sit and think about it. <laughs> And when I talk, when we talk about how we walk, how we continue on in our lives with moral excellence, it's like, I have to make these choices every day. I have to make the choice to continue to do that. Now, after moral excellence, it says, and in your moral excellence, knowledge. And knowledge in Ephesians 1, verse 17 to 18, it says, asking God, the glorious father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in the knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. We started off 
with faith, and then we supplemented our faith with moral excellence, with the choices to live like live right. But then now we also need to add to that our knowledge of God. Who is God? What is He? What does He require of us? First Corinthians nine twenty five says, "Everyone, sorry, that's not the right one." Uh, Ephesians five seventeen says, "Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do." The only way for us to gain knowledge of what God wants of our lives, or God wants of us, is to continuously be in His Word. That's the only place we gain knowledge, right? We need to know God, but knowing God and how He is in our who is He to us, right? And in that knowledge, self control. So let's move to the next one. Now, self-control is, to me, self-control is always just resisting dessert, right? <laughs> but it's more than that, right? So self-control is actually completely submitting to God's will to do what he has called us to do in his time. Sometimes God will show us something. Uh, self-control is completely submitting to God's will to do what he has called us to do in his time. Sometimes we know what to do. We're smart people. Right. And God shows us a direction and we're like, OK, God, I got this. And we just take off. I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to do it. But self-control is waiting on God. And I was reading about Abraham yesterday um, because God brought me back to Abraham and Isaac. And so I was like, well, how did Abraham get this? So I went back and we started reading about Abraham. When Abraham left his father's house because God told him to leave his father's house, he took his family. He says, we're leaving. Right. Abraham and Lot. He didn't tell him. He didn't know what to tell them where they were going. And I, I don't know if any of you, when you were kids, when your parents moved from one place to another, they'll sit with you and they'll tell you, okay, we're going to move here. This is the school you're going to go to. This is what the environment's like. The people are like this, right? Abraham didn't have anything to tell his family. He said, we're going. Where? I don't know. We're going. Lot, we're going, right? We're going to go. But one thing I saw with Abraham is he practiced in his life is he waited on God for everything. And that's how he knew where to go. And that's a very difficult thing to do because sometimes God shows us what to do or we think we know what to do because we're so smart. And then we just start moving ahead and start moving into people's lives. And especially in ministry, when you are praying for someone or when you're caring for someone and they don't respond or they're, they're not doing, like you've been praying for this for a long time and that person is just not changing. And so you feel, okay, maybe I need to try another approach, right? Instead of practicing that self-control and asking God, what now do I just wait? Pastor Catherine says this to me all the time. She said, Jeannie, don't trust what your eyes see. Because when you pray for people, you have to understand they are thinking volitional beings of their own. They're, they're going to make choices on their own time, in their own time. That's the basis of ministering to people is understanding that everybody's different, right? You, we can't expect that if we lead you through a 12-week Bible study, at the end of 12 weeks, you're going to be this beautifully transformed Christian, right? It doesn't work that way because we learn things differently. It's okay. You know, it took me, I grew up in a Christian house. It took me 21 years to come to know God. I had a grandmother who prayed for me every single day. I had all, like, if you see from the formula of what I should have had growing up, I should have had a different life, but it took me a longer time. And that's okay, but that's how we are. Self-control is when we continue to rely on God for every every area, not just in other people, but even in ours. When God has shown us something is, when do you want me to work on this, Lord? When do you want me to go? Abraham left when God told him to go. Moses left when God told him to go. 
right? Joshua left when God told him to go. So they all knew what they had to do, but they didn't go until God told them to go. That's self-control. It's waiting. Joshua, God told him exactly what he had to do, and that's exactly what he did. Moses was the same way. God told him, God even gave him a preview. Okay, here's a staff. The staff will become a snake. Okay, put your hand in your cloak. Take your hand out. That's what's going to happen. He gave him a preview, but he didn't go until God told him to go. <clears throat> and with self-control, patience. Or perseverance is um, the word. Perseverance. It says, be still in the presence of God and wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. Now, a lot of times we see things that are going around us and we don't have the patience or the, the perseverance. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry. Thank you. <clears throat> I guess it patience. Patient endurance, yeah, that's why. Sorry, I was looking at the NLT for that one. So patience or perseverance. So continuing to be patient. Um, be still in the presence of God and wait patiently on him for him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. We can continue to persevere and grow. Don't trust what your eyes see around you. Don't trust what people see around you. Uh, I have a friend who I've been talking to for years, and she recently was dwindled out of a large sum of money. She was so angry. She's like, I want vengeance. I want these people to suffer. I want them to pay me back and pay me back more because they're horrible people. Maybe, yeah, they are horrible people. So, and I always tell her, I said, you know, it's not our place to go after vengeance. That's God, right? But I say, it is your place to continue to walk right <clears throat> because we have to wait patiently for him to act and we have to walk right before God. Luke 8, 15, it says, and the seeds that fell on the good soil represent honest, good-hearted people who hear God's word, cling to it, and patiently produce a huge harvest, right? Patiently endure. This I love because it says, patiently produce a huge harvest. Again, when it comes to people, we are all different. We grow in different ways. We, patient, patient endurance is necessary. Romans 5, 3 to 4, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know, we know they can help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. Another, I love this progression because it says it helps us develop endurance. Endurance produces character. Character is really important because character is what shows the, the, the condition of our heart. And endurance is what our heart has to go through, right? And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. Do you know that you need hope of salvation? We need hope of salvation in our lives. We need to constantly know that we are saved. We need that. And the only way we do that is when we constantly endure. You know, it's, we cannot have a false sense of salvation, right? It's like, oh, I said my sinner's prayer, I'm okay. Because at the end, back of our mind, we're always going to be wondering, am I really okay? Am I really okay? But we need to know we're okay. And there's only one way to know we're okay, is that when we are know we are right with God, I'm enduring and persevering with God. You can't endure and persevere with God without having a relationship with him. You're going to have a relationship. I mean, if you have had a really good friend that you've been through all kinds of trials with, 
Are they good friends? They are because of those trials, right? If you hadn't gone through those trials with them, they wouldn't be your good friend. When you go through trials with people, you they become your good friends. Patient endurance and perseverance, that's actually what brings us closer to God. Because that's when we see, oh my goodness, this God that I serve is so reliable. This God that I serve will never leave me. He's my father. He never leaves me. He never forsakes me. In everything we do, 2 Corinthians 6.4, we are true ministers of God. We patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. In everything we do, we are true ministers of God. Every one of us are. Now, at Logos, the one important thing that we always want to emphasize is that just because your name doesn't, just because you haven't taken on the responsibility of pastor, and if you ever do want to be a pastor, please let us know. We will pray with you and walk with you. But just because you haven't taken on the responsibility of pastor does not mean you do not have a responsibility of ministry. We all do. It's part of our Christian walk. We do. And I don't like titles in churches for that very reason. Because then it's like, oh, I don't have that title. I don't have to do it. I'll never forget. When I was, when we, Evan and I were doing college ministry, we met a guy and he said, oh, I'm not called to do that evangelism stuff. I'm like, oh, <laughs> how do you figure that? He goes, well, that's not my calling. It's not my office. We're called. All of us are. When you saw the disciples go out. They healed. They apostolized. They evangelized. They did everything. We, when Jesus didn't have an office upon him when he went out. Right. We are all called to those ministries. We can minister in all those areas because that's what God has called us to. <clears throat> and finally, well, not finally, but close to final. And in your patient perseverance, godliness. <clears throat> now, why do we need to be godly? Second Peter chapter three, verse 10 to 11. It says, but the day of the Lord will come unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives live should you live? Right? First Timothy 2, 1 to 2, it says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people, ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf, give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked with godliness and dignity. It's important. If we are not in this world, then we are called to be godly. There's no in-between. There's no, And there's no such thing as being too godly. It's actually a state. You're godly or you're not. You're walking with God or you're not. There's no in-between. Like, I don't want to be, some people say, I don't want to be too Christian. Like, what does that mean? What does that mean to be too Christian? Like, really, what does it mean to be too Christian? Because if you don't want to look like Jesus, then you're not a Christian. If you don't want to be like Jesus, you're not a Christian. If you don't want to walk like Jesus did and face what he did, you are not a Christian. Sorry to say that, but it's the truth. You can't call yourself a Christian if you want to live like the world. You know, we talked about, what was the word you used? I, John and I were having a conversation this week about templatized Christianity. Something like that. <laughs> like, most churches have this idea of what Christianity is. It's like in a box, not templatized, but it'll come back. <laughs> so it's like, if you fit in this box, like if you go to church once a week and Bible study twice a week and serve in a ministry somewhere, 
you're a Christian. So that means if I eat pork five times a week, I'm a pig. <laughs> or if I brush my teeth every morning, I'm a toothbrush. Or if I go to the gym seven days a week, I'm a, you know, get yours at what I'm saying. Christianity is not what we do. It's who we are. Right? <clears throat> so why do we need... First uh, uh, Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 to 8, do we not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tale? Instead, train yourself to be godly. The word train here, is, and then verse 8, of course, it talks about physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. Promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. We actually have to train to be godly. Again, it's actually an effort. There's no templates for Christians. There's no like, if you can do A to Z, or if you read your Bible every day and you finish your Bible in a year, that makes you a Christian. You know, I have a friend. uh, She's actually a work mentor. She loves to read the Bible. She's actually written Bible apps. Like that will send you messages every day to remind you to read your Bible. She's not a Christian. I had no idea because of the way she talks. I had no idea because she reads her Bible. And I, and I asked her, I'm like, how are you not a Christian? She goes, I just haven't taken the time to believe. I'm like, but you're reading the Bible. So I've been praying for her because I know she loves God's word. She actually loves God's word. She's just never made the choice to finally say, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. So I'm praying for her, then praying for an opportunity too. So again, it's, like, it's not about what we routinely do. It's about what God is doing in our heart and, and how he's transforming us. Are we godly? Are we like him? When people are in our lives, do they get to see, are we like him? You know, our biggest testimonies to our families. Families are the hardest ones to reach out to, right? They're the hardest ones. And if you come from a family of non-Christians, it's the hardest one to reach out to. The biggest witness to our families is our lives. So when I came to the US, I was a rebel. When I went back, I actually went back, the first time I went back after I came here was after I got married to Edmund. And I went back to visit my family. Oh no, actually before then. So okay, my dad came for my wedding. And when my dad came for my wedding, he sat down and talked to me. You know, we spent some time and we were talking. And the one thing my dad said to me, he said, something changed in your life. It's my dad, right? He knows me. He knows me really well. And I said, yeah, but I said, I, I'm really serious with God right now. And he said, he said, I can see that. It's really changed. And my aunt, who was with him, who also she raised me, she said, something really changed in you. Something's really changed. And they, I used to be the one in the family that everyone was like, this one we're not quite sure what to do with. <laughs> you know, my grandmother's prayers for me were always along the lines of pray please let her just come out okay, (laughs) right? But then when my aunt went back and she told them what had happened to me, it blessed my grandmother so much and blessed my aunt so much because they had never stopped praying for me. And the same thing in Edmund's life, right? His family does not believe. And so because of that, his life, it's not what he says. It's not what he does. It's not how much he's achieved. It's none of that. It's his life. That actually has to make a change. If we don't change from the inside out and become different people, if we don't become Christ, then the people that we reach out to, the people that we're praying for, what are they looking at? Okay. 
First Timothy 6, 6, it says, yet true godliness with contentment in itself is great wealth. Take time to meditate on what that is. Sorry again. Yes. Yet true godliness with contentment in itself is great wealth. But you, Timothy, are a man of God, so run from these evil things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life, along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. To live a godly life is to truly live like God. Right? And if we're, if we're ashamed or afraid to be like Jesus on this earth, then are we going to be ashamed to be like him in heaven? It doesn't work that way, right? That'd be kind of odd. It's like, if you were ashamed to be with me, you wouldn't want to be in my house. And finally, with, with, with godliness, brotherly kindness. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 7, it says, In your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. And I was kind of wondering, I said, what is brotherly kindness? So look at John 13, 34, it says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, and that you also, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. <clears throat> so that talks about loving. And then Romans 12, 10, it says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Talks about loving. It talks about honor. And it got, talks about giving preference. And <clears throat> it's truly an outward act. Now, how many, how many of you know it's really hard to show brotherly kindness to everybody? It's hard. That's why it, brotherly kindness comes after godliness, after patience, after self-control, after knowledge, and after faith, after moral excellence and after faith, right? Because in order for us to truly love one another, we need to first start with that foundation of faith and be walking in these things for it to be able to show forth in our lives. You know, <clears throat> we've heard stories so many times about how churches are the most unwelcoming place around. Right. That's brotherly kindness. Right. When somebody walks in the door of our house, <laughs> and, right, how we how we treat them is based on what brotherly kindness, what love we have from God for them. Right. And how we accept them and how we receive whoever and whatever. They are. And we've had all kinds of people walk through the doors of our house. And it's not been, you know, we have a principle in the sense that when we first started Logos, I think I shared this once before. There was only like, there was one day we had church service and it was me leading worship, admin preaching and one guy in, in the congregation. And I, I was leading worship and I opened my eyes and I looked down and this is one dude standing there. He wasn't even singing, he was just looking at me. And I was like, I closed my eyes again and I'm like, Father, why are we here? <laughs> you know, I'm like, why are we here? And, and he said, would you do this for even one? And I said, yeah. If you call this for even one, so that's why whether we have prayer or Bible study or anything, even if there's one person, we have prayer or we have Bible study or we have. So a lot of times like Thursday nights, I'll get on and everyone's late and I'll just wait because if one person gets on, we're going to pray. And if no people get on, then I will pray. Right. <clears throat> but that's what God's called us to do. That's brotherly kindness. That means we love each other. We love one. We love five. We love ten. But whoever and whatever God brings that that's who we are to show this is what distinguishes us from the world, right? Where we truly care for one another, where we truly 
are invested in one another. One of the reasons why we're still in our house and not in a church building is for that very reason. Because we don't want to be bothered with managing anything else other than people's lives. It's, if that's not what God has called us to yet, maybe he'll call us to it one day, one day I don't know. <laughs> but not now, right? Because now brotherly kindness has called us to this place together. And, you know, we're blessed for whether we're online or in the room, it's the same. The love extends. And the last one is love. <clears throat> and in your brotherly kindness, love, right? And I, I thought a lot about love as I was writing this because I want to read Galatians. Oh, sorry, let me do this again. Okay, I'm going to read Galatians 6 to 10. It says, so then, while we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people and especially to, to those who are in the household of faith. And that's love, right? It's doing good and taking care. Colossians 3.14, beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. First Thessalonians 5.15, see that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good. And 1 John 4.21, it says, and this commandment we have for him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. And then in reading these scriptures, I was thinking, well, what is love? Because love is not an emotion. It's not just an emotion. It's, emotion is an expression of love, right? So when you feel something towards somebody, that's an expression of love. But it's tricky because sometimes you can feel emotions of love without actually loving that person. Could be infatuation. Could be all kinds of stuff, right? <clears throat> so love is not just an emotion. It's actually action, right? And we're going to read that in a bit. It's actually effort. It's actually intent. Love is actually sacrifice, and love takes time and diligence. Right? So love is not fleeting. It's not like, oh, I love you, and then walk away. That's not love. Love is when you stick around. You know, if somebody's been in your life and they're continuing to be there, that's a real expression of love. <clears throat> Love is unending and it's undying. So for those of you that are not married and are looking to get married, just remember, love is not is so much more than a feeling. Because a feeling, feelings come and go, right? Sometimes you could love a person and sometimes you look at them and you're like, oh my gosh, you didn't do the laundry. I don't like you, <laughs> right? There's so many things that could happen that would take feelings away. This is why divorce rates are so high. Because it, it, it truly is. Because one of the main reasons I fell out of love. Like, how do you fall out of love? Where's the commitment? Because, see, if you look at the definition of love, so let's go to First Corinthians 13. Sorry, I thought I had it pulled up. I'm going to need you guys to pull this one up because I didn't put it on the slide. Actually, I did, but then it didn't update here, so sorry. <laughs> so we're going to read verse 1 to verse 8. If I could speak, oh, sorry, let everyone get there. First Corinthians 13, verse 1 to verse 8. This scripture is in every single wedding, and we learned that even non-Christian weddings will use this scripture as well. <laughs> because it's the most accurate description of what love is, the word of God. <clears throat> verse 1, it says, if I could speak all the languages of the earth and of angels, but didn't love like others, 
I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Because love is patient and love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Love does not demand its own way and it is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wrong. Love does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures every circumstance. If you look at the definition of love, this is the most accurate definition of love because it was written by God himself. And God himself shows us what love is. See, love is so much more than just emotion. It's so much more than that because love sticks around. Love doesn't leave. We don't know what love is today because we don't know the love of God. Has God ever left us? That's the true significance of love. As a parent, one of the things we get to experience is when we love our kids, we never want to lose them. We never want to let them go because that's, and, and that's how I learned to feel, how God feels. He never wants to let him go. He never wants to let us go because we are his. He loves us so deeply. <clears throat> love doesn't end. It, there is no end to it. So when we take love in that context and we go back to when God, when back to the scripture in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 to 9, it says, we need to supplement our brotherly kindness with love. And then in verse 8, it says, for these qualities are yours and are increasing. They render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Our spiritual growth is dependent on a foundation of faith built up on all these things. It really is. Our, our spiritual growth is so much more than what we appear on the outside. It's really where our hearts are on the inside. We're preparing for Christ. And in preparation for Christ, we are preparing for the people around us. How we bless our families, how we bless our friends, how we bless our spouses, how we raise our children. It all depends on this growth that continues to happen in our lives. This growth has to happen with the foundation of faith, a basis of faith that brings us into that place where we are now just like God. We, that's what we're called to be. You know, every day we make mistakes. It happens. But it's the fight against being like God or just being less perfect it's like our goal is always to be more like god and how we be more like god is just like what peter shared with us here in second peter verse one three chapter one verse three to nine <clears throat> any questions <clears throat> or any comments or thoughts
right? If there are no questions or thoughts, I, I, I would ask in your quiet time this week, if you would take the time to read through this scripture, just this one scripture, well, not one, but nine, nine verses. Um, and I'll send, I can send out my notes if you need them, but to read through and really begin to ask God, how do I, how do I take this journey of faith? Right. Everything that I know and I've learned in my life has it interfered with what your word is saying about growth. Pastor Jimmy, no, can I add one other thing? Yes, go for I, it. I'm not coming online. I look horrible. Ooh wee! But uh, <laughs> Hebrews chapter twelve. This was really, really, really uh, powerful sermon. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It was really blessed in all the scriptures. I just want to add one Hebrews 12, uh, 12 2 is the only thing, as you were saying, about taking the time for these nine scriptures. Hebrews, do you want me to go ahead and read it? Yes, please. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Amen. So it's like he's the initiator. He's the author of our faith. If we don't feel like we have any, we don't know how to get started as we meditate on this, just simply ask. Amen. Simply ask and say, Lord, would you help me? Would you give me? Would you teach me? And, you know, and what he does is that, like you say, it's not something we can just forget. It grows in every experience that we have. He's the one who will lead us, walk us through those experiences. And all we have to do is just simply trust him. That's what faith and love is. Amen. That's it. God, amen. <clears throat> and... As we read through Second Peter 1, 3 to 9, like we just read in Hebrews chapter 12, Jesus is the initiator and perfecter of our faith. But when we, add, when we come back to God and we take everything that we know about spiritual growth and take it up against the scripture and really ask him and say, am I walking out in this? Am I walking out in diligence in my faith and moral excellence and knowledge and self-control? And perseverance and godliness and brotherly kindness and love. And I started doing this last night where I just started like listing out like what are what what do I like have I even thought about moral excellence? Have I thought about virtue? Right? Is my life exemplary or showing that, right? Um I'd look up the word virtue first, but and then and then I went and I said, oh, then do I have knowledge? Am I continuing to do I know God? Am I continuing Continuing to know him through his word. Am I practicing self-control in the things that I want to do? I mean, one thing, the one area I can say God has really helped me grow in is keeping my mouth shut. Because sometimes I want to say so much, so much. I have so much to say. But God will tell me, don't say it. And you know, every single time, and this is every single time, 100% of the time, when God tells me, don't say it. He will resolve it. A hundred percent of the time, when he says, "Don't say it," and I pray, 
Like sometimes, you know, I don't know if you guys do this, but I wake up in the morning at four o'clock and get angry. Like I'll think of something and then I'll just have this argument in my head and it's like, oh my gosh, I'm like, I'm going to say something. And then I'll pray and I gotta say, don't say anything. I'm like, okay, fine. And then by 9 a.m. he'll resolve it. How? That's one area that God's really, really touching it, but self-control, right? And then perseverance. Do I push through every single time? Every single trial that comes our way. You know, one thing that God showed me this week is that every time when he does one of those amazing things and you're like, wow, this was God. But he does one of those things, taking the time to say thank you. Not just at once, but saying thank you over and over again. Sharing a testimony, saying thank you. Sharing a testimony, saying thank you. Continuing to walk in what he has done. Acknowledging what God has done. Those are faith-building moments, not just for us, right? You know, I shared the testimony. I was sharing with somebody this week, like how as we walk through our prayer time on Thursday and, and pastor's prayer, I was sharing with somebody about how God's been answering prayers. And she's like, wow, really? She was like, he actually answered your prayers? I'm like, he actually always answers our prayers, always. That's how good he is. He will tell us if we're wrong, but he always answers our prayers. That's who God is. That's a witness. Um, and also walking in godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. So take the time to go through it. If you need a reminder, I'll send out a reminder later this week. But you might say something. Yeah, I um, wanted to just echo Pastor Catherine about asking God um, and his truth in terms of building our faith. Uh, brings me back to Psalms 119 and uh, verse 97. It says, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. I have more insight than all my teachers. For your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the age because I have observed your precepts. And I love the part where Jeannie uh, was talking about when we first started church and then eventually end up at our home. And the reason why we're still at our home, because we don't have to deal with all other type of management, you know, like building and things like that. But one thing I wanted to be be uh, sure of that you all understand we're not managing people either we're actually managing ourselves as a family to make sure that god's purpose for us can be a blessing to other people uh, that's why people say you know church begins at home and of course it doesn't stay at home it also goes out and so uh you know one thing that as as pastor Catherine was talking about hebrews as Jeannie read um you know, let, let, he is the one who's going to be the author, right, of our faith. Now, here in Psalms 119, uh, reminds us about a momentum. Last Friday at Men's Bible Study, we talked about there are two types of people. One is constantly having thoughts in their mind and a belief in their mind, but they have this inertia mindset. They just don't like to change. The other one is they... They, they, they don't know how to change, but they want to change. So they take little small steps. And this is really cool. In Psalms 119, it says, for your, uh, I have more, sorry. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. Whatever this person received, as uh, Jeannie mentioned, practicing it, walking it out, is forever mine. You, this is steps of momentum. 
you don't achieve something great overnight. It's all those small steps. So just want to encourage in that faith is the same way. Uh, you know, there's no such thing as faith activate. You know, that's a switch. <laughs> or some of you know this cartoon or whatever, power extreme, boom, you know, suddenly it turns on. These are silly, silly things that people, you know, wanted to shortcut the work of faith that God has given us. And so, so know this, faith comes in small packages, right? Mm -hmm. If we practice uh, as simple as what Jeannie was saying, and I'm the same way too. We have a lot of thoughts in our head. And sometimes the best thing for us to do is just shut our mouth and, and, and let the prayer do the work and let God resolve it. And then the proof of faith happens. Amen. Amen. So just want to share that bit. Amen. Catherine, do you have your hand up again? Or is this I do. I do. I was trying to be really quiet this Sunday. I really was trying. Um, but I just wanted to add to the thing that you said, Pastor Jeannie, and also what you said, Pastor Edmund, because truly they go hand in hand, is that based on, you know, your final comment and Pastor Edmund's, you know, let's go to Psalms 103 too. And would one of you read that? Would you read that, Pastor Jeannie? Psalms 103, 2, it says, Let all that I am praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And may I never forget the good things he does for me. That is how faith is built. You don't forget. You say thank you. You acknowledge them. But then you don't forget them. Because what happened with the Israelites is that the Lord would do something great. They would praise his name. They'd praise him, and then they'd forget. They would forget from one miracle to the next. If you don't forget those prayer journals that you date and you cross them off, go back to those journals and look at all the things that the Lord has done. That builds your faith, too. And that, you know, goes with what Pastor Edmund is saying is momentum. You know, you, know you, you keep momentum if you don't forget. Now, I'm, I'm truly, I'm done. Amen. Amen. All right. Oh, All right, so let's close. Father, we thank you truly for your word today, Lord Jesus. Father, that your word, Lord Jesus, is never the same. And yet it's always true. I pray, Father, that if this is a scripture we've read before and if it's something that we feel that we know, I pray, I pray Father, that, Lord, that we will learn something new from it today, Lord Jesus. Yes. I pray that each heart has received something from you today, Lord. I pray that each heart, Lord Jesus, will not just hear the word today and walk out and then forget it, but that each heart, Father, will remember what you've spoken to each one today, Lord. And Lord, I just ask, I continuously ask, Father, that you change our lives, transform us each and every day more and more into the image of you. Transform us every day, Lord Jesus, away from what we are in this world into what you have called us to be. Lord Jesus, I thank you, Father, for hearts that are hungry. I thank you for, for hearts that are willing, Lord Jesus. And I ask, Lord Father, that, that each of those hearts receive what you want them to receive today, Lord. 
Father, I pray blessing for each one that is here and on the on the call and that is here, Lord Jesus. I pray, Father, that your hand will continuously be upon us, upon each one, Lord, as we are in your word, as we are hearing your voice each and every day. Father, I pray you speak into each heart growth, Lord. Lord, we love you. We honor you. In Jesus' almighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, announcements for this week. But before then, I think we have a birthday birthday this week. Angie. Uh, Angie, I, I uh, they might be still, they might have on the They're road. They're on their way. <laughs> They're on their way. And Sharissa as well. Happy birthday, Angie. Happy, Happy birthday, birthday to both of you. Thank you. Hi, Angie. Happy birthday.